I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Play in Footsie podcast. Uh, today with me, we've got Steve D, Steve W, and Zach. Everyone's been having a bit of a rough week, I think, uh, in the stock market. It shouldn't be news to anyone that we have seen a bit of a drop in the NASDAQ, and I'm sure that has made some people feel a little bit rough about their stocks. Um, anyone been buying anything this week in the dip? Anyone? Yeah, I've been buying a couple of little things. I mean, I actually sold something just before the kind of worst of the dip came out. So I sold uh, Applied Materials, which is a semiconductor um, equipment company. And I picked up more of my favorite stock at the moment, which is Kirkland Lake. Because um, uh, I like stocks that go down instead of up at the moment. But it, feel, it feels like it's really good value right now. Uh, but yeah, that stock in particular has been about as rough as you sound, to be honest. Yeah, I've uh, just put that out there. I'm pretty ill today. I'm sweating buckets right now. I think I've got a bit of a Barry White voice as well. So um, yeah, I'm going to be a bit rough. You guys are going to have to carry me a bit today. Um, uh, speaking of semiconductors actually uh, are the semiconductors there's a few bargains out there at the minute in the semiconductor world anyone looking at any at the moment I just thought when you mentioned that I was looking at Broadcom and I think they're pretty undervalued to be honest but all the semiconductor stocks are coming out uh, coming down ASML that sort of thing Anyone thinking hmm. of picking those up at the minute? I've bought one. I, um, I've been taking a look at Marvel for quite a long time. I've admired it all the way through the 40s and um, into the 50s. And uh, I think it's a it's almost the best of all kind of players. They're, um, they're in the 5G market. They're... Um, They've just bought in Infi semiconductors, which is a um, they're a data center semiconductor, um, a, a stock I used to hold. And... Um, yeah, I've uh, I've I've took the plunge and um, I am now a, a Marvel stock owner. It's only a small position at the moment. I'm still looking to flesh it out. Um, it's had a terrible day, which is which is great because uh, I've been adding it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quite impressed with Marvel. I think they're a real turnaround story and um, they've got some good margins, well, generating a lot of cash. Um, I mean, I've noticed the uh, the dip this week, um, but I've not bought anything yet. But um. I am looking into getting into more into the Bitcoin mining, um, so I should be doing that tomorrow. I'm looking at Argo again. Um, there is another one called Bitfarm, but Trading Two One Two doesn't seem to have have this stock on, so which is a, which is a bit of a shame. It's uh, similar to Argo, similar um, um, market cap as well, and it has a higher hash rate than uh, Riot Blockchain. So you yeah, love no. your Bitcoin, man. Have you do, been uh, on this massive dip in Bitcoin? I mean, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think Bitcoin is probably going to go back up. I, I'm looking at a time of getting out about September. 
but uh he's still very much in your blockchain yeah no i'm i'm still bullish on uh bitcoin i mean there's a lot of more um parties getting involved now um and they're trying to add it onto their balance sheets as well just to just to be cool so i mean we'll just see after we'll, we'll, yeah we'll have to see where it goes one big uh sector that's been having a lot of problems is uh renewable energy that's been having a bit of a rough time specifically NRG, I noticed was oh it's got to be down what 30 40 percent on the month so oh, 20 22 percent on the month that's a bit rough i got out of inrg is this all down to the problems that they're having in texas is that i think that's going to be part of it certainly i mean there is until today kind of midway through the session today there'd been a fair bit of kind of downward pressure on stocks in general but um INRG is a tricky one. I mean, I understand that I understand the attraction definitely. Like 100% clean energy, the world needs at least one of these companies to work uh, quite plausibly, and there's a sense in which they do. But when I was looking at the ETF, I really struggled to find it that attractive. I'd love a different renewable ETF somehow that's somehow weighted differently because I looked at this one and it's 10% plug power basically. Um, and I struggle with plug a little bit. I mean, it's it's been going absolute gangbusters for the last year. It's up like 735% or something like that. Um, but with my kind of value hat on, I really find this one quite difficult. I mean, its revenue's gone up from 19 million to 308 million, which is nice over the last 10 years. But its shares have gone up from 13 million to 310. So its actual revenue per share has gone down over the last 10 years because um, they've had massive amounts of equity printing more or less and you think well maybe at least you could buy some of those back but then you can't do that because the share price has shot up they've got a deal with amazon as well which i was looking at and was kind of encouraged by but i was listening to uh, a guy called anthony Iser on the itpm podcast who was talking about this does a much better job than i can uh, by the way on this but there's kind of a catch built into that amazon deal basically and the amazon picked up around uh, 55 million warrants i think for plug stock buying at around $1.20. So uh, Amazon took charge of around $528 million worth of products and $3 billion in warrants um, and gave plug back $600 million and $99 million for the warrants. So, I mean, the winner there looks like Amazon, to me, to be honest, by about $2.5 billion or something like that. And if that's kind of how you have to sell products because plug's an early-stage company... Uh, I feel like their hard work's ahead of them rather than behind them at the moment. Yeah, its market cap has ridiculously increased this year, hasn't it? Something like 1,500%. Um, and I'm guessing at the moment, though I haven't really got involved in Plug recently, I'm guessing they must be issuing shares at the moment to get a ton of money back on, on, that, um, on that massive share price spike. Um just looking down the list of uh I've just seen Gamesa um Siemens. Um I've just seen also they've they've gone down by what fourteen percent over the past month. Hmm. That's a lot less than the entire ETF, right? I think um I think a lot of these companies are just struggling at the minute. I I managed to sell out of this. I, I couldn't stay in this. It was just way, way overvalued uh i think i managed to get out sort of 150 percent up which was quite nice i've just totally fluked that uh time in that on the way out but um 
I wonder. Yeah. I mean, looking down that list as well, there's some really good companies that have just seen investors. I wonder if... I think there's... I guess I think there's only two companies that I can see there that off the top of my head are, are actually profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that'll be Vestas and, and Gamesa. I think First Solar have lost money in the last two years. And Phase, I'm not sure if they're profitable. Um, Zinyi aren't. Plug Power, I don't think are. Verbund aren't. Allmat aren't. Um, so yeah, it's quite a it's quite a worrying list really. When you look at that, you're adding all those together. You've got what 50, nearly 60 percent of that. Uh, at least fifty percent of that is is unprofitable. I wonder if uh, people actually look into the you know the holdings itself, as opposed to just getting the ETF. Hmm. I mean, this is one of the first ones that I looked at when I had this idea that I would find companies by raiding through ETFs, um, and that led me to Enphase, which I think at the time, certainly, I don't know what's happened in the last year or so, was profitable because I seem to remember thinking it traded on a P2E that I found much more attractive than the second biggest holding, which at the time was first uh, was Solar Edge actually. Uh, first solo was third um and that sort of ended reasonably badly for me and put me off things that have small to medium caps because if you go for bigger cap things you're a lot less likely i think to get subject to short attacks because people actually know more about the company and they're less likely to just turn out to be a shed or something like that it is amazing how much the weightings of the ctf have changed over the past year uh it it looked nothing like this when I first started uh, buying into this ETF. And now it's just, like you said, it's just gone to and become a very, very speculative uh, ETF. Not that it wasn't in the first place, but now it's just a hugely... It's just green memes. Specu- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially but the turbine... green memes. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> have the turbine companies had a bit of an issue with this Texas news then or what's been going on in Texas Does anyone know cuz I don't know too much about it myself wasn't it basically the beast from the east kind of situation here where they said a lot of the turbines froze over and hell broke loose yeah essentially they've had um, they've had a vast sort of snowstorm hit Texas in general um and because they've cheaped out on the turbine blades and not used carbon fiber blades um they've all frozen and um that's caused um it's caused a sort of a shortage of electricity, but also people are staying in and using a lot more electricity. So when you're not generating enough electricity and you're using a lot more electricity, there's going to be a problem. But Texas won't share grid, so it doesn't take power from any of the states. Um, so that's another problem. And also it's uh, an oil state and uh, any political advantage that they can get over non-oil energy products um, has, has led to the politicians being out on the streets saying... You know, this is what solar power solar power gets you, and the the truth of it is, is this is what when you skimp on green energy, this is what you get when you have a, a flash snowstorm. Yeah, it's been really bad. They've been boiling water and stuff. Sorry, it's more than that as well. I think. I mean, Steve's dead right that politicians going to do what politicians do, and if you're a Texas politician. I mean, it would behove you to start coming out and talking negatively about green energy because people who vote for you would like you to do that a lot. So that's kind of all natural and to be expected and stuff. I mean, I thought I was reading that it wasn't just a failure of green energy. It was also a complete freezing of sort of natural gas pipes and that sort of thing as well, uh, which meant that it kind of overlooks the idea that um, this isn't just a natural, uh, just a green energy failing. Yeah, that's it. It's like Texas is a hot place. Like they don't... They're not prepared for this uh, sort of thing. So surely it's all energy that's gone down here rather than 
just blaming it on the green energy stuff. Um, I did. I'm sure I saw something that it was only 25% of the energy that was delivered is delivered by turbine, like wind turbine. And the no one knows where the other 75% of the energy has gone. And it's all down to the failed oil and gas uh, systems that are there as well. Another From one hot place to another, we're going to go with Australia because Facebook's been getting in trouble with the Australian government. Um, <clears throat> Facebook, in case you didn't know, uh, Facebook and Google have been getting into a fight over the past couple of months with the local news authorities and... <laughs> The, the local news authorities have been saying that Facebook needs to pay to use its content on its website. And Facebook basically said, uh, no, we don't. And uh, Facebook then uh, basically have held uh, the news uh, site websites to <coughs> ransom, basically. Um, what's been going on there? Some sort of blackmail situation, I think, with the government, federal government. <laughs> I think... Um I think Facebook are playing a weird kind of um, strategy. It almost reminds me of the WSB kind of uh, thing with, that went out uh, about two weeks ago. And it kind of uh, mimics the same the same kind of flavour. Um, so they basically said, no, we're going to stop everything. That includes all the charities, all the, um, the kind of the key companies, um, even the emergency services pages. And it... That basically backfired on them because they've they've opened them them back up again, but um, it doesn't. That's the, that's the problem, right? That was that was what I read. I think was um, basically in Australia, what counts as news is very very broad, and there's certain things that no one is allowed to stop sharing, sort of like fire police and stuff like that, and um, Facebook really couldn't filter all that. Uh, in in contrast to Google, I think Google gave up straight away, um, because it felt that it the system was way too broad and it just couldn't it couldn't selectively say okay this news website needs to not be shown but this news website can. Uh, it's something to do with the Australian government, right? Uh, um, what they class as news? I think Google was underpinned by ad revenue from from the get-go right with the search i think facebook obviously was with the social side and they came into the the revenue kind of uh, ad ad streaming side afterwards um but facebook said if media is publishing news that's up to that's their problem right why why should we pay you guys if you're going to publish news anywhere yeah, I mean, Facebook's idea, I think, is that the media outlets do well by appearing on Facebook. Facebook would normally charge people for kind of advertising space on these sorts of things. They regard it as a kind of privilege of a sort to appear on their platform, I think. I mean, for Google, the idea of paying for news, if that's something that was asked of you, made more sense to me in the sense that when I go looking for stuff, I go looking on Google oftentimes to find out what's happening in news and if I thought the news coverage was less good I might try and look somewhere else I suppose I don't look on Facebook for the news particularly um, but in general Facebook's yeah, been driving you, get, you end up getting your auntie just sharing some uh, yeah um... sorry I don't go looking for um, <laughs> like news that many people might be interested in on Facebook um, I use it to kind of fill time and that sort of thing 
but I mean, oh, Facebook's been driving me mad. Um, they had their kind of Cambridge Analytica thing, which depressed their earnings. So if you look at their earnings chart for a few years, there's a kind of a dip around the 2019 area. Their earnings in 2020 were very good. Um, they appear to have got that behind them, managed to get their operating leverage back. Everything's going nicely again. I thought, oh, great. Facebook is back on the rails again. And then since then, they tried to pick a fight with Apple. And now they're trying to pick a fight with Australia. Um, and they seem to be just incapable of uh, getting on with things quietly in the way that I kind of like companies to do. They seem to want to just wind everybody up, which is sort of annoying. Yeah, yeah. it felt like a bit, it felt a bit like the diapers.com sort of uh, method where Amazon decided to really squeeze out diapers.com by uh, running, uh, running at a loss for a long time. I felt like this was what Facebook were trying to do to the Australian news me media, basically. They were just basically saying... Okay, if you really, really want to push it with us right here, we can just squeeze you out. We can just stop sending all the news to uh, your website because that's that's where that's what Facebook is. It's just a pin board for everybody's news and everyone's opinion. And um, I'm really getting fed up with Facebook. To be honest with you, I'm always if look, I, hovering over the delete button with it. Out of the two, I think um, Google was more. Um, inclined to kind of uh, go with what the government was uh, saying because 53% of ad revenue um, is accounted for Google and 23% for Facebook so they were obviously making less far less than Google was making so they were like okay we can we can you know throw the throw the toys out of the pram essentially um, from the two and I like I like how um, Google said basically we we owe your economy um, thirty nine billion, like we we give your economy thirty nine billion, and then a, a think tank just comes out of the blue and says no you're lying <laughs> essentially on 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 news as well it's it quite funny. Um, what I have a problem with I mean if say for example if Google left or stopped their services in, in um, Australia, it would have had a massive effect on the small businesses who use Google for like advertising and, you know, essentially talking to one amongst the other businesses as well. I think, how would have Google uh, um, essentially um, paid these companies uh, for all the money that they've spent? Well, we're getting into a conversation here about how much power Google and Facebook have over everything i was really worried about how this would spread to the rest of the world if facebook really did just stop showing news in australia then the rest of the world would have to suffer that as well and i was thinking this i was thinking with this right now um with facebook changing its mind and actually probably now going to pay the news outlets for uh, sharing the news is this going to open up something to the rest of the world uh, the uk gonna uh, news outlets going to go to facebook oh you know what that sounds like a pretty good idea how badly is this going to affect facebook's revenue I, I think they will i think it sets a precedent for for rest of the countries to do the same i guess because i mean some of these companies obviously operate globally uh routers um even sky but rupert murdoch's gonna get paid for all of the um the news that they publish in Australia, why not in 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 America or or the UK as well? One of the one of the things I think is that when you're a controversial sort of company like Facebook are, and they they sort of leap from scandal to scandal, one of the best things you can do is just lie low, 
And um, Facebook starting a fight with Australia is not lying low because there is politicians in every country in the world that want to take Facebook down a peg or two. And um, they're not going to do themselves any favours by starting starting political wars because everyone, everyone will just rally against that and um, they'll end up paying half their advertising to papers, which I don't think anybody wants. Especially... Especially how anti-China Australia is as a country, I think. This doesn't really favour Facebook well with their privacy. <laughs> uh, the thing is about Facebook and Google is that in the territories where they're not in, somebody else has just assumed the position of them. Um, so as much as you say they've got a lot of power, they're still at the whims of the politicians. If the politicians were to ban Facebook in, in the same way that Facebook is banned from China, um, then something else just comes along and assumes the position. And that's that's yeah, what I I was thinking that like if Google completely shut down in Australia or Facebook decided to completely shut down in Australia, that would create a vacuum because it's a necessary product, isn't it? It's the mm. I mean, Google is a massive part. I mean, what or are, are all of Australia going to start using DuckDuckGo or something? No, they'll start <laughs> using Baidu, Kangarooigle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny you mention this because Bing literally said, "Oh, we'll uh, you you know we'll take the Google spot," and an analyst worked out it would need three to five years for it to actually position itself. Yeah, um, I mean this sort of speaks to Steve D's point where um, if no one really likes you, just keep quiet. I mean, no one uses Bing, do they? Uh, sounding off and saying it's all right, we'll take over. Yeah, is Bing Microsoft yet? My workplace yeah. uses Bing. Unless they've spun it out or something, then yeah. <laughs> no, Bing, Bing has a lot to do with with the ad, the ad um, the SEO stuff and the ad uh, Google Ads kind of comp- competing service. All right, let's move on to the flesh of today we're going to start talking about some of the because it's 13f month this month um and some of the big 13fs have come out uh first of all we wanted to have a chat about berkshire hathaway warren buffett's uh, massive company what have they been buying because it's quite surprising uh that was my opinion of it anyway do you want to touch on what a 13f is first yeah go for it Go on, Steve. <laughs> okay, fine. So um, every company who is over a certain size in terms of assets under management has to file a 13F every quarter. Roughly details what they're holding at the end of that quarter. So what we're looking at now is what uh, Berkshire Hathaway and indeed other companies, I think we've also got Scion uh, there, uh, were holding at the end of last calendar year. So this is correct as of 31st of December, obviously. Anyone there may have bought or sold anything since then, but this is their way of keeping us updated. I would note that it does not have to list uh, shorts, I think, uh, or short positions, rather. I think it does have to list put options, uh, and it does list call options, and it lists uh, equity holdings. But um, if you're interested in what Michael Burry is short, uh, you should look at his Twitter, I think, rather than his 13F. (laughs) <laughs> he deletes them straight after. Every time he shorts something, he just deletes it straight after, and they have to find it out from the news. Um, Michael Burry is an interesting one. We'll talk. We'll talk about Michael Burry in a second. What we're looking at right here is uh, whale. Um, what's it called? Whale wisdom. 
Whale Wisdom, that's it. Whale Wisdom is the website that I usually go to to look at um, just the highlights of the 13Fs. The 13Fs, usually they'll come out about 45 days after these buys and sells have been made. Um, it's just one of the things where you will not find out what anyone's been buying until 45 days after. So you've really got to guess. And what we've seen from Warren Buffett is, I mean, in my view, is really, really surprising. Um, I just didn't expect some of these companies to be in this list. And I mean, they look like Warren Buffett type companies, to be honest. Um, they don't look like Ted and Todd uh, companies. Ted and Todd, by the way, are the two underlings of Warren Buffett who are going to take over whenever, whenever Warren. I don't think Warren Buffett's ever going to die, is he? He's just gonna, he's just gonna live on forever, <laughs> right? Um, like a glass so, jar, jar head from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, just being a, just being a glass jar with Nixon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what what's been going on? Anyone better at this than me? Explain what's been going on with. Berkshire Hathaway's 13F. Oh, this is really exciting. Uh, I can't believe you don't want to explain this one. I mean, last quarter, <laughs> back between September and December, it came out that um, on their previous 13F, so the one covering Q3 from last year, I believe they had left off around $7 billion or so worth of uh, equities, uh, which caused a lot of speculation, a lot of thinking, a lot of guessing about uh, what these kind of mystery positions were. And at the same, around the same time, some people noticed that approximately, I think, the same amount of Tesla stock had gone missing. And people thought, right, this is it. Berkshire Hathaway is buying Tesla, finally. Uh, Warren Buffett, who likes energy, uh, likes utilities, is buying the renewables bunch. Um, that turned out to be not quite right. It's, in fact, mainly Chevron. Uh, oh, sorry, mainly Verizon and partly Chevron. So close, but um, not quite Tesla in these situations. But, yeah, um, I thought it was an interesting set of buys. I mean... The, the effect of what happens after Buffett starts buying things that everyone else has been looking at and looking past for a quarter or so. Well, plenty of people point out that there's lots right about these companies. I mean, Chevron, it's, I think, generally thought is the best of the oil majors, if you want an oil major. Most people don't. Um, but it's sort of interesting in the sense that these are big buys, even by kind of Berkshire's standards. These are kind of, I think, uh, something like fifth biggest and ninth biggest in that portfolio. And when you get past Apple, which is nearly half of it, there's not much then between the rest of them uh, to, in terms of difference in amount. So the big highlights really are buying of Verizon, which um, it's an interesting one that he's gone towards the telco. Uh, considering everything that's sort of hanging around the telco. Although I had a good conversation with somebody in the YouTube comments the other day, uh, Ted's World. He's he's great. He he really uh, shows me up whenever he can. He's really good. Uh, and he basically uh, he basically says it's pretty much the only telco that's really profitable at the moment. Its um, net income is about three point five billion, um, and it's. I've been looking through Verizon to try and figure out what Warren Buffett sees here. I see some undervalue, but I don't see that much. Uh, you know, if we're talking about margin of safety and all that sort of thing, that there just isn't that much. So it surprised Verizon surprised me. Chevron definitely surprised me as well. Who wants to own oil at the minute? He's obviously thinking contrarian. Uh, and 
The last one is that he sold quite a bit of Apple, right? Um, what do we feel about that? Because whenever Warren Buffett sells something, usually he's going to sell out, right? That Warren Buffett doesn't trim positions as far as I, probably, as far um, as I understand. Probably the battery life on the Apple devices. <laughs> I don't think he's ever picked up a phone in his life. I seem to remember when the 2008 bank crash happened, he didn't make a deal because one of the banks didn't fax him in time. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember him talking about that. And uh, who's, who's, who's the other one that uses faxes? Dolly Parton. That's a, that's a really uh, obscure fact that I know. Is Dolly Parton doesn't have a phone. She faxes everyone as well. That's a weird old thing, isn't it? That's is that just yeah? This is what, sorry, Steve. What's the racing guy called? The the one from he's usually at Silverstone. The old Eccleston. He uses a fax machine. What the hell? I was, um, yeah, I was in. I had a tour of Silverstone just as a side note, and yeah, the only thing in his in in his room was a couch and a fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just interesting that um, was was Apple his buy? Was did he? Is he one of the ones that picked Apple, or was it someone else in his company? It just doesn't strike me as a company that he. I think it was uh, one of his. I mean, this is obviously we're going quite a way back now, so we're looking at when it was kind of on a peak of around sixteen, I think. Um, which. Oh yeah, might, it was well that might valued. Help you make time they a bit more it. sense of the idea, I guess. But um, yeah. yeah, I found the selling really interesting. I mean, I found Apple an interesting sell because this isn't the first quarter that uh, Berkshire's been moving. Bits out of Apple, nothing major, nothing kind of particularly eye-catching, but also nothing that they're required to do. So sometimes they do sell because they own too much of a company, and if a company buys back, that might push them over the kind of 10% threshold that you're not allowed to own over without being, um, in the case of banks, a bank holding company. But there's all kinds of selling going on here that's catching my eye. Uh, so General mm. Motors selling, JP Morgan selling, Pfizer selling, Wells Fargo selling. Uh, these, are, I mean, Pfizer has not had very long, from what I can think of it. And he's actually bought more in the other healthcare areas, which is uh, kind of eye-catching to me anyway. Uh, General Motors, I kind of felt were quite good for, for the sort of near to midterm future. Um, same with kind of JP Morgan and Wells Fargo. Actually, things seem to be generally going in the right kind of direction for them. And... Certainly when I kind of started investing, all I seemed to see was YouTube videos with Buffett telling us how wonderful Wells Fargo is and how Wells Fargo is going to be an amazing company. And yes, they've had a scandal, but they will put that behind them and they will be better for it. And I'm not owning them anymore. I was going to say, there's an element of swing trading to the portfolio. As, as I would never accuse Buffett of such a thing, but there are stocks that he has held for, you know, from 13F to 13F that have come in and gone you know, within the space of three to three to four months, which is it's quite unusual, really. His his holdings tend to be fairly static. Um, when people go, they they go in full, and um, it, it seems quite odd that he's nibbling around in positions and he's buying tech companies. I would have Verizon as maybe a tech company. Um, maybe it's his five G player. It's a footsie tech company. Well, that's <laughs> it. I was trying to. F- I was trying to figure out Verizon. Like, are they really getting into 5G with Verizon? I mean, it is. Obviously, it is uh, based around 5G. But long term, I, I don't know. Even all of these tel- telcos seem a little bit at risk long term. And they're all laden with debt. Every single one of them. He owns hmm. T-Mobile as well. Um, Verizon, obviously, is the probably the fifth biggest debt company in the world. Uh, you got Everyone talks about AT&T's debt. 
but uh, I think that's about 150 billion at the minute. But Verizon's debt is easily 100 and 100 to 110 billion. So everyone's laden with debt. The interesting one was Abvi. Um, Abvi's an interesting one to buy. Um, another one with a little bit of risk on the old story. Um, it's uh, is it Humira the mm -hmm. uh, drug that they have? Um, they're going to lose the patent on, and they have a lot in uh, hu uh, they earn a lot of revenue from Humira. Um, how much is it, Steve? You you will know the number, won't you? Oh. Is it like sixty percent Humira? It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I knew it in the week yeah. we were talking about Squid. I don't know it in this week. They're they're beholden yeah, to one drug which is running out of patent and a pipeline that looks a little bit shaky. And they got quite a lot of debt. Yeah. I think. Hmm. But, but if it, you run it on, <clears throat> if you run it on a discounted cash flow model, mm -hmm. it is well undervalued at the minute. And oh, is he just looking at the at the math and going, oh yeah, this is going to be it. This is this is uh, how it goes. And it's worth mentioning as well. I think at the end is that. Berkshire Hathaway still holds, I'm going to put this out there, as $145 billion in cash still. Is Isn't it more right? than that or is it less than that? Yeah, yeah 145 right. That's off the top of my head. Dude. So he's still holding on to that. So we, I suppose we've never talked about um, Warren Buffett holding on to his cash. Um, what's he holding out for? What What is it? And uh, is uh, is there going to be a dividend payment coming from Berkshire Hathaway? Ooh. No, T Tesla, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and not Tesla either. I don't think. I mean, I think I was listening to Josh Brown on CNBC, who I thought had quite a good take on this that I'd just kind of rehash for you in slightly worse terms than he does. I mean, he notes that what we've recently seen is a lot of the Fed doing the job that Berkshire would traditionally have done. So we had a big kind of economic slowdown. Usually what happens there is companies get into trouble. In comes Buffett with his 9% convertible bonds. Um, and that's partly how he ends up with equity in companies like General Motors, for one. Uh, if anyone was wondering kind of why he's buying them, he's not buying them on the open market, I don't think. I think this is a case of, uh, here's some money, pay me a load of interest and I'll take some equity at the end, basically. But with the Fed more or less just insuring everybody's bonds, and for as long as they continue to keep doing that, Fewer people are interested in a 9% Berkshire convertible deal. Um, when the Fed stops with this kind of thing, and I think it probably is when, then I wonder whether out comes the famous elephant gun. Yeah, he's going to just spaff all over everyone. Spray it's, uh, yeah, yeah that's, an yeah, that's a good take on it, that is, isn't it? He's just waiting for all of the quantitative easing uh, to subside a little bit and then he's just going to go out and he's going to take advantage of all the companies that are what is it swimming naked is the famous term that's it that, uh that he that he has it um, wait till the tide goes out then you'll see who's been swimming naked and i think that's what that's what they're thinking that's what uh berkshire hathaway in general and i don't like to just talk about warren buffett with berkshire berkshire hathaway i mean charlie munger in my opinion, has very has a very very small influence on what Berkshire Hathaway actually buys. I think his personal portfolio in there is, I, I want to say a hundred million. I think he he only invests a hundred million out of Berkshire Hathaway. But Ted and Todd are the new guys. Does anybody know much about them? Because I personally don't much know much about them. But they're the reason for Snowflake. That's why everyone thinks. Everyone thinks that Ted and Todd are the guys that uh, pushed Berkshire into Snowflake, right? Didn't they also buy the 
bank. The Brazilian bank. Stonco. Stone yeah. Stonco, yeah. Stone, well, we yeah. would assume so. It's very difficult to tell, isn't it? Um, I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be buff, a Buffett purchase, but um, you, you would be pretty safe to assume that they had at least some kind of influence into the Stonco purchase. I have this idea that one of them bought Barrack and then immediately got told to undo that again by the next 13F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just got a slap on slap on the back of the head and went, "What are you doing? We don't do that." And then, uh, yeah, Charlie yeah, Munger wandered in and has... said, "Look, I'm only here one day a year. Put that thing back where you found it. Get back on with buying <laughs> bags." <laughs> Buffett's not doing any interviews at the minute either, is he? He's not been doing a lot uh, of interviews. He used to do them all the time. I think has he had his, he had his COVID jab yet? <laughs> yeah, I it think, could be it, couldn't it? He... I think Charlie's run out of his one-liners. That's why. He did a phone-in that I saw with, um, again, CNBC, I think, where he was basically saying, uh, or encouraging uh, the US government to get on with sorting stimulus rather than uh, wasting time wrangling over it. The thought being that, look, the longer this ticks on, the more damage we're doing. And if you're going to pass this in 10 days' time, can you not just get on and pass it now? But beyond that, I haven't heard much from him. I'm looking forward to the shareholder meeting in May. Sorry. Do yeah, Biden's think- trying to raise min- minimum wages and he's trying to shove that through. So it, it just causes a lot of arguments and it slows everything down. What's uh, Snowflake doing at the minute? Because there was a massive rally around Snowflake and I've not actually heard of it. As with any IPO. IPO, to be fair, I mean, every recent IPO, including Airbnb, massively overinflated, right? I think I heard, yeah, um, I saw on Twitter, Parikh Patel was saying that Snow is demonstrating its disruptive power all over the clean energy sector in Texas. But... <laughs> <laughs> Parikh is just, oh, he's just lovely, isn't he? He's been, get, he's been talking to Elon today because I think uh, Elon Musk has been in a fight on Twitter today. Has anyone seen that? <laughs> just, uh, I was going to ask you about... Called, um, um, I was going to ask about Buffett and Bitcoin. Is he going to ever invest in Bitcoin? Or will... You think Buffett's going to invest in Bitcoin, <laughs> really? Well, a like... lot of institutions like BlackRock have. I mean... I think you have more chance with Tesla, to be honest. Just looking at that snowflake price is just crazy, isn't it, on on screen? 269 at the moment, and I think Buffett got in at 120. Is that his average price? I think he's bought a little bit more afterwards, but... Yeah, it um, was about 100, yeah. I think 80? It's... I think it's a gift. What one twenty mm. was a gift. It's <laughs> mm. interesting though. It's um like looking at the year chart. It's you know, it's had its it's had its run and it's all come back down now. So uh, yeah, current price two six nine. What did IPO at on? This is IPO in on trading two one two, isn't it? Two five three. As people would say, um, it's consolidating, right? <laughs> I think it was 120 and it got operated to one either 140 or 160, which was about the time I bowed out of it, I think. I was really interested at 120. It's got um it's got a lot of things going for it. I mean the the risks are they're quite severe, but but you you um the upside of Snowflake is is potentially huge. Um but at, at 269, I think what what does the market cap what does the market cap say in that Paul? I think it's probably about it's got to be over 100 billion, is it? Uh, no, say 80, 82 billion yeah um, so I, I mean i can't i can't possibly value snowflake i haven't got a clue about it it's just um hmm. what what exactly does it do what what exactly does it do it feels like a palantir no one really knows what it does there's a 
There's another company called C3 AI, right? Similar sort of They're stuff. They're a little bit different. So C- C3 is spinning up um, like AI uh, applications. So Snowflake is like a data analysis tool, but w- what it's really good at is it, it can stash your data across all the major providers. Um, and basically you pay for a session. So you spin up a session. It's rather than you saying you know, to AWS, I, I need... 500 users and they need to have access to it 24 7 and aws come back and say well that'll cost you x amount of million pound with snowflake it's like a paper user so you spin up a session you use it and then you spin down the session and and you pay for what you've used um and it is a genuinely a, a very good program they've got um a really good onboarding team so they do personal onboarding they teach you how to use it how to get the best out of the tool and you can see that in the figures there's, there's a figure that um software as a service company has released which is apu and it's average revenue per user and you on an average revenue per user um if you can get um 100% ARPU, ARPU, um, that's good because that means that every year you're getting the same amount out of your um, users that you used to have. And they've seen companies that come out, they, they sometimes have like 120 or 110 if they're really good. So they're getting an extra 20% out of their users every year on top of what they got the year before. I think Snowflakes is nearer 200. So they're, their customers are doubling their spend with them year on year on average so uh, it is well, a it is there's some quite like stunning metrics in there but not at 82 billion pound valuation <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely flexible for even small companies to get exactly in, right? yeah but the idea is is that eventually as as has happened with elastic which is a, a, another company i quite like is that if it gets too popular amazon google whoever just make their own version or they stop your access or they limit your access and uh, and that's it, you know. What I mean, that's a third of the revenue gone. Yeah, that's. Um, I think uh, ARPU is going to be the hot term of twenty twenty one, just like um, Rundle. R- Rundle was in twenty twenty. Uh, ARPU is going to be the hot term of twenty twenty one. Everyone's going to start learning. <laughs> oh no, sorry. The top, the hot term of twenty twenty was last mile. Everyone was talking about last mile in 2020 because it's like this new phrase everyone learned. <laughs> yeah. And everyone was going, oh, my God, have you heard about this new last mile company? They do delivery and they do this. And, uh, like, ARPU. They have a drone on top of the van. <laughs> <laughs> ARPU is going to be what, the... Whatever um, happened to that, actually? Uh, it's still waiting. Workhorse is still waiting. On we the are, news. what, six, six months in. Whoa! Yeah. How can people wait for six months? I wonder if we're gonna get um like Apu Rundles. Is that when we've reached like peak peak bubble? Oh Jesus! Uh, yeah, I think um yeah Apu Apu's gonna be a big phrase. Apu's gonna be uh, everyone's gonna learn about Apu this year. Everyone's gonna learn about like how SaaS companies start to learn. I think Netflix is gonna be the big one that's gonna uh, push out its average user because uh netflix netflix is growing same with facebook actually say facebook's going to be a big one as well facebook is growing but it's growing into em markets it's growing into emerging markets and you don't get the revenue per user in a in an emerging market uh system so I think Netflix are going to have a problem with that. They don't think so. They think they're going to be able to keep their average revenue up, even though their their new uh, customer base is all going to be in uh, smaller countries. 
It's uh, just going to be the phrase of 2021. That's what, that's what I'm calling. I'm going to call. Am I, am I waiting for Pinterest to get on board as well? I think that's one company that needs to get their average revenue per customer up. I think they're still um, undermining. Um, well, they're still down on the uh, rest of the world revenue uh, as opposed to the Amer- North America. So yeah, uh, it's definitely a company I want to talk talk about one day. I think Paul's probably nailed the title of the episode though this time. Everybody's going <laughs> to learn about ARPU this year. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I think it's just going to be the word of the year. Welcome to the final <laughs> episode of the Playing Footsie podcast. <laughs> Playing Footsie talk about ARPU. <laughs> I just want to talk about Cyan uh, Asset Management, which is Michael Burry's um 13f uh the 13f from science Mas- uh asset management um there isn't much to it but there is some really really big news out of it because i think a couple of weeks ago we talked about gamestop and we talked about how michael burry's probably done very very well off gamestop and the whole pump and dump uh scheme that we that we saw there is he also mentioned the um the uk housing crisis uh, no, he hasn't. Uh, has he mentioned the UK housing <laughs> crisis? <laughs> I'm gonna tweet him because the stamp duty is gonna 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 come to a stop next month. Oh, uh, he, he, he probably gets really annoyed with that. He's like, I, I made one big bet on the ho- on a house housing crisis <laughs> once, and now everyone wants me to bet on everyone else's like Argentin on the Argentinian housing uh, housing crash. But uh, Jimmy, it turns out, and I haven't got the data up here, but it turns out. Michael Burry sold out of GME in December last year, mm. uh, a whole two months before the GME crisis happened, which means Michael Burry missed out on the entire run. Uh, he would have missed out on something like five hundred million, I think it. I think it is. I think he sold with a prof in a profit, but he. Yeah, he didn't hold on to the run at all, which is the biggest news uh, for uh, Michael Burry's Cyan Asset Management. He's also sold out of Facebook and Google for some reason. Um, uh, did anyone else have anything on Cyan? Um, so I think his biggest holding now has become, yeah, uh, Calls and Citigroup. Um, there's a sense in which um, Calls are kind of, or knowing that someone has call <laughs> options as one of their top buyers is kind of useless because... A 13F doesn't tell you an expiry or a strike price. So just uh, just to be entirely clear about this kind of thing, an option is uh, gives its holder the right but not the obligation to either buy or sell, depending on whether it's a call or a put, uh, stock in a company at a certain price within a certain time. So if you own a call option, it will have a number on it and it will have a date on it and you can buy the uh, stock at that price before that time expires basically. Um, so without knowing what the strike price or the expiry on Burry's calls is, we're, we're guessing kind of even more than we would otherwise be about Citigroup. Um, and he uses a lot of puts and calls. Uh, it's a very surprising amount. He's always uh, making calls rather than just straight up investing in companies. Uh, it's worth noting uh, he's still short Tesla, as far as we know. He, he, they don't, um, they don't show them on the 13F uh, people shorts. But we're pre- still pretty sure that uh, Cyan Asset Management and Michael Burry are short Tesla. Uh, probably doing quite well at the moment, actually, uh, with Tesla falling about 
20%, something like that. Yeah, it makes up for the GameStop thing. <laughs> okay, let's finish off with uh, Zach's spat corner. Uh, <laughs> that's a... Uh, I'm going to call that as a new feature. Zach Spack Corner. Woo! What we got today? This is almost like a scrapbook. Um, so I've been looking into a company called Aerion. Um, so they basically have not um, formed a merger or a SPAC uh, with a, with another company called Altu. A-L-T-U, ticker symbol. So... In one sentence, it's basically it basically wants to build the world's first supersonic business jet that flies point to point in three hours or under. It sounds you know f- fictional, um, but then again, the SR seventy one uh, was supersonic uh, in the nineteen fifties, so it's not really out of our reach. Um, but the main thing is it, they're trying to be green. They they're coining the term green speed. Now that's kind of all just marketing fancy fluff, right? What it has is it has an AI-driven sandbox environment for basically designing and testing, and it's almost an exact doppelganger uh, of a, of the physical kind of the asset or how how um, uh, a product will function in real life, and they're basically using it for the plane. Uh, so they're trying to have a supersonic plane which doesn't uh, make a sound, so the sonic boom sound. Uh, so it doesn't uh, make uh, cause any noise. So how do they? Um, how do they? What what makes this plane different? Sorry, I don't know anything about this company. Um, I'm just looking through so it now. What? It's it's sixty percent. Fi- Basically, it's the Concorde too. So because you know the Concorde, um, the program stopped after that. Uh, I mean, instant, that's not uh, that's not a good one. thing. I was coming to that. I was thinking, is this Concorde too? That's not a good thing, in my opinion. Um, one of the issues they had with Concorde, remember, is that it could only fly over sea. Um, if it flew over land, um, it, the the boom would would s- smash windows. So um, the idea with the Aerion is that they're reinventing the Concorde, but they're making it super quiet. So this can fly anywhere it wants um, in the world. So it can fly from any point of the world to any point of the world, pick your fairest destination in under three hours. Um, so it's meant to be a commercial jet for starters. So it, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's a lux- more more of a luxury um, commercial jet than than anything else. But the the, the the technology is what is 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 the groundbreaking thing here. Um, I suppose Zach will want to tell you about the sandbox, but the sandbox is very a very impressive piece yeah, but of the, technology. The Concorde was uneconomical. It Concorde uh, lost money every time it flew. Uh, that was the biggest issue with it and the crash that it had um it wasn't really a crash was it really a crash i can't remember i don't think anyone died on the crash did they or did they i, I, I think they did. <laughs> i can't I actually remember the whole story but <laughs> but after yeah, after the crash did. which grounded all concord forever um it was just more of an excuse because concord itself was completely uneconomical what is going to make this properly wasn't that more of um, two governments coming together, like France and England? Well, UK. Um, this time, we have big players. We have Boeing. We have NASA, even. We have Siemens. We have a few more um, smaller companies, actually. Some are not even listed on, on, on the stock market. Um, so there's quite a lot of um, um, aviation companies involved in this. I mean, these are just the big ones I mentioned. 
but I think the um, the most interesting thing is the the way they're going to go to production. They they're basically doing it all in the sandbox, um, doing it real time changes. So anything that's expensive gets sorted out in the uh, software side, and then uh, that that's that's when the um, plane's going to be ready. Um, once once they've done all the niggles and stuff, they've fixed up. I mean, there are weaknesses, even in this play. If if it does come to to the market as a spec, they they start basically in twenty twenty three. That's when the testing starts, and they they plan to bring it bring it into service in twenty twenty five. I don't think anyone's going to be waiting five years, you know, just to see whether it comes to fruition. Uh, I think that's one of the issues uh, that's, uh, with this company. And the other problem was it was really difficult finding any financials on this company. I mean, I've only found one statistic, and that's the estimated revenue for the year of just $40.3 million. And being the kind of company it is, it's going to burn through cash, even even with their uh, efficient kind of production models. Is this a front run for ARK Invest Space ETF? I, I guess, yeah. I mean, because CAFE is um, very bullish on, I guess, these suborbital um, space sector so this kind of uh, fits the, fits the idea so i mean there's there's a virgin galactic but point to point hyper travel is the kind of the, the main key area of uh, arcx and this definitely fits fits the bill so we'll, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on this so what's what's i the, don't know yeah go on what's the new technology of this company where where what's the crux what's the usp why are this company going to do better um one of the things that one of the things that they're doing, and it is really important to sort of like emphasise the sandbox. Um, so what's happening is they're building a full plane in a, in a um, and it is a, effectively a replica in a sandbox that will repli- uh, be a replica of the world essentially. So they'll be able to test every part of the um, every part of the plane before they even start to go to production. So in theory, their costs should be a hell of a lot lower than anybody else who's doing it. Um, so one of the things I was looking at was GE have also um, adopted this sandbox engine on their um, on their latest um, jet engines. And they have found that if they simulated their engines in, in into the sandbox, that they could take a point-to-point brand new engine design in around 10 months. Um, and that is with stripping all out, all, all the unnecessary bits, refining, and then manufacturing and it normally takes them three years. So what this has done is it's a it's it's almost a um, a plane technology player kind of in with a commercial jet player. Um, it it is a really really interesting company. I mean I think um, GE was saying that they managed to strip out sixty percent of the engine's weight in the simulation because they found out that they had a I think it was a twenty three key a piece of twenty three kilo shielding which they found was absolutely completely unnecessary. And they managed to strip that out, and it saved them massive amounts of costs, massive amount of manufacturing times, and weight, which is one of the key aspects of of, of a plane. That's interesting because um, the mRNA companies that are out there at the moment, a big part of their strategy right now is AI and going down the routes of trying to simulate everything first. Uh, And I think... That could be something good for the future, to be honest with you. And, and that sandbox out idea really does sound like something that uh, these companies are really starting to get into. Because 
uh, like you're saying, you you try uh, you're trying to find as many simulations of the uh, the the planes first. So you're thinking they're going to sell this sort of sandbox thing to different companies and maybe make a I business think, out of um, that way. They want companies to work with them. I think it's one of those kind of um, unique kind of aspects to to Siemens and even GE now. Um, so it's a way for them to kind of partner these smaller companies that are up, up, upcoming, I guess. Um, just to make You've a, got to remember that they've also got Spirit. They've also got, I think it's Dassault. They've got um, Safran as well, all all partnering up with them at the moment. So there, there is already significant interest in, in what they've got. But they're also looking at future, making a completely green jet fuel. Um, they, they've got a whole host hydrogen. of things on the website. Hydrogen. Of, of, I think it's called hydrogen, isn't it? They, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> the completely green jet fuel <laughs> that they tried to come out with at the minute. Uh, biofuel. Um, they're using yeah, biofuel. It's, it's a biofuel um, that they're trying yeah, to it's make. It's actually... Um, yeah, I think um, Shao was talking about that. They're making a lot more... Uh, they're trying to make biofuel in uh, um, the minute. In November, they successfully finished wind tunnel tests. So it is something that's slowly coming to fruition um, but it's going to be a slow play i think you know a few years 2023 is when we're going to really hear about any testing so has it got a spac in mind uh, yes it's the ticker, for a SPAC? ticker symbol altu possibly there's still it's one of those bloomberg kind of um news um headlines where oh we heard about this and that but nothing's finalized wow. yet but it is that's th- something Getting your information off Bloomberg at the minute about these SPACs is uh, pretty terrible mm. uh, at the moment. Um, we ha- we haven't actually talked about CI- CCIV yet, but uh, the idea, Bloomberg released uh, an article saying that CCIV was going to be... Uh, I wish I had more knowledge on this one because I just don't look at SPACs, uh, especially from their... Um, from their inception but ccv was supposed to be valued at 11.5 billion uh on bloomberg but actually in the end it got valued at about 24 billion and that's why we've seen the massive drop in ccv i think it went down something like 40 percent today uh were you guys in ccv or did you get out on time and what's happened there I was out in time. Um, I got to, when it got into the 50s, I halved the position. When it got into the 60s, I halved it again. Um, and I was left with a 25% position. Um, but my average price was, was 14, I think 14 or $16. So uh, it didn't fall anywhere near the uh, the sort of levels I was, where I was in any trouble. Um, I think there's a little bit of, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. I think there's a little bit. The valuation was a bit of a bit of a bit of a heavy one, but they've also stuck news out today that they're not looking to be mass manufacturing for eight or nine years, and they've also put back the first car another quarter. <laughs> so they've um, they've they've completely shafted everyone. I think the. Uh... The supersonic plane spec is probably better. better, better. They probably get to manufacturing yeah. a lot earlier than these guys. <laughs> yeah, I thought Lucid Lucid was supposed to be the next Tesla. I thought it was going to be bringing out cars really soon, and it was going to be straight up um, competing with it. But it's it's not right. There's, they're not going to have a car till 
2029 or something and what is the point in buying this company price to sales ratio i wonder what the price to sales ratio is right now (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually infinity well it's got to be zero right because it's they haven't ever they've never built a car have they they've never built or sold anything right actually did you say it's gonna they're gonna sell something this year yeah, they're going to sell their expensive... They're building an expensive car first. I think it's about $165,000, and that's the one with the big range. and the, that, All the headline figures that you're seeing on the on the adverts are 1,000 horsepower, blah, blah, blah. That's the one they're building for 160000 The actual mass market car is Tesla-esque. It's, it's like Model 3 level specs. Um, but if they're not planning on mass manufacture for eight years, what will Tesla and all the others be doing by then? Um, that was my it, point. It like, to be seen. Um, ice, ice companies are going to be well ahead of the game by that point, right? You know, you've got Volkswagen um, and they're queued up with um, QuantumScape and QuantumScape reckon they're going to be mass marketing their batteries by 2025. Yep. Yep, so yep. Volkswagen's going to have a load of QuantumScape batteries by 2025. They this company, Pot- this lucid potential, company are going to be dead in the water, right? I mean, I can't see it being long-term investment because we still like if they if they um, backtracking now on on their dates for manufacturing. I mean, what this thing seven eight years? Did you say like that's a long long time? I mean, people hmm. were asking, oh, QuantumScape's going to come out on, you know, with batteries in 2025. That's like ages. Tesla is probably going to come out with similar sort of batteries next year. And seven or eight years is is is, is near impossible to kind of figure out where they're mm. going to be or where the rest of the market. You've got to remember, when you're selling a £165,000 or $65,000 car, you've got to sell five times less cars to make any kind of decent revenue to somebody selling a $35,000 car and I think that is generally the idea at the moment is that the the big car, the expensive car is going to be the proof of concept to show them, you know, it's almost like a tech demo this is what we can do and then the mass market of money, they've got some pretty pretty hellacious backing from the Saudis um, so yeah, they could be they could be a hit, they could not be, even at this price I'm not interested in it, I think they're, at this price they're valued more than Ford already um, they valued more than GM. I mean, I know that's a norm now, but it, it does feel like it shouldn't be. Steve W, are you um, looking to swap your Ford for for these guys? No, my Ford's doing quite nicely actually. I have. Um, I don't often talk much about my kind of open positions, but I have one share in Ford that was free from uh, free trade. There's currently <laughs> nothing in my free trade account. I haven't actually looked since it started dipping, but that might be really sad, I think. It was up about 45%, which I was quite pleased with for something that I hadn't really chosen or looked at. Doing better than the things I did choose and do look at, uh, as, is, <laughs> as is the way with these things, I guess. Oh, no. Your, your portfolio is going to be um, doing really well this week, right? It, very defensive portfolio it's gonna be yeah my port's doing yeah. all right thanks i'm i'm going okay uh, i mean we've been hearing on the discord that people are down like 30 40 50 percent losing ridiculous amounts of money um and that's and that's fine because that's you know that's your risk tolerance that's your that's your game right and um but i think yours will be very similar to mine it just hasn't moved in 
any any real way. It's, uh, yeah, it's losing 30, 40 good. is fine as long as that is your risk tolerance. And I do sometimes yeah. wonder when the way people talk about it, whether it really is or whether maybe whether they're just finding out that it's not really their risk tolerance um, because it isn't mine. I would get shaken a bit by losing 30, 40% on something. Uh, it does mean that I never went up sort of five times like they have. They're probably still ahead of me slightly. Um, I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. But I am at least happy enough with the kind of strategy that I've got. And yeah, it's been an all right week from my perspective. That's it, isn't it? Though With volatility, it goes both ways, doesn't it? So if you're happy with volatile ups, you've got to expect volatile downs. And I think a lot of, uh, I said it on the Discord the other day, I think a lot of young investors are, they've only experienced the volatility up. And the volatility down is like the worst thing in the world. There's nothing worse than logging into your portfolio. Like I remember during coronavirus when you you logged into your portfolio and you were like, okay, well, that's half of it. And and then realizing you've, you know, you've not logged into invest and you have actually logged into your ISA and, oh shit. and you know, and the worst thing is, is that you then look at those companies that are 50% down and think, oh my God, I'm holding Aviva. I'm holding Lloyds Bank. <laughs> and... <laughs> Well, so it's like one of those things is that when we say about like having conviction about what you own, the reason you need conviction for what you own is because when you log in and you're 50% down, you better love those companies. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to lose money. I'll go blockchain. Yeah, that's... Oh, I mean, seriously, can can people really have conviction in... Argo blockchain. I, I, um, personally, I, I can't. I know Zach does. Oh, um, th- there's a lot of people who who do. I mean, the thing you know, because he's got his own little niche, and I think a lot of people compare Argo with Riot, Marathon Pattern, um, a few new players now as well. But I will yeah. say for anyone who's who's invested in Argo blockchain, if Bitmain does come in, in into the stock market as as an IPO. It's gonna absolutely shake up all the miners because they make all the printer, basically the machines, um, that all these small miners are using. So if they if they make the old machines, and they in on in on the game as well, it's, it's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> all right, I think we'll leave it there. I, uh, we're uh, about an hour and eight minutes into that one there. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening today um this podcast can be found on apple google spotify and i believe it's gone on to audible now as well uh if you have any questions for us feel free to leave it in the comments below the youtube uh video of this podcast and let us know what you thought of it because uh yeah we've just kind of just freeboard it here we've just kind of had a chat today in uh Yeah, it's been really enjoyable. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up.